This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. The federal government's controversial industrial relations policy looks set to pass Parliament this week after it finally secured agreement from a key senator. Independent David Pocock negotiated a number of changes to seal the deal for his deciding vote, among them a regular review examining welfare payments. Political reporter Claudia Long has more. From a press conference with the Prime Minister... Ready to take questions? Yeah. ..to an announcement from David Pocock. Morning, everyone. Thanks for coming down on a Sunday. The independent crossbencher and the government both talking up their agreement to get the industrial relations plan through the parliament and into law. The decision by the crossbenchers to back uh, Labor's bill is the right one. It's now a very different bill to what was introduced a month ago. So what's included in the changes to the plan? If you're in the construction industry, you won't be able to have the multi-employer bargaining that's been such a contentious part of the government's proposal. And businesses with less than 20 employees will also be exempt from having workers band together across different employers to negotiate a pay deal. On top of those changes, a regular review of welfare payments ahead of every federal budget by an independent Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee. Which will provide independent advice before every budget on the state of social security payments in Australia. But while there is a plan to establish a committee, there isn't a commitment to increasing payments like youth allowance and JobSeeker. Senator Pocock hopes the committee's findings will lead to public pressure, pushing the government to raise them. It makes no sense to me for for one of the wealthiest countries in the world to have one in six children growing up in poverty. Having this independent committee, I think, will raise awareness about the state of Social Security payments in Australia and hopefully really push the government to address it. While his hope is shared by a number of the Greens sitting next to him on the Senate crossbench, they aren't convinced yet that it will actually work. Senator Janet Rice is the party's community services spokesperson. We are pleased that the government has committed to this committee and to an inquiry, at least committed to something regarding raising the rate of income support. How valuable this committee and this review and this inquiry is really depends upon the details. One certainty is that the Treasurer and the Social Services Minister are being tasked to lead the committee, the Greens want there to be conditions on their involvement. Having the ministers actually observing the process, absolutely, but they should not be um, determining what the outcome of the process is. People shouldn't have to wait until after this committee has finished all of its deliberations. There is a desperate need to raise the rate of income support above the poverty line. With the Industrial Relations Plan now set to pass the Parliament, the government still has another hurdle to jump in this final sitting week of the year, seeing its National Integrity Commission through the Senate. Claudia Long reporting, and AM asked the government when the terms of reference for the committee would be released and how its members would be selected. We didn't receive a response before deadline. Where to next? That's what many Victorian Liberal Party members are pondering this morning following a third straight election loss. Opposition leader Matthew Guy says he'll stand down from the leadership once a suitable replacement's been found. But some analysts say it'll take more than a new leader for the party to come back from the political wilderness. Oliver Gordon reports. After a third successive defeat, the Victorian Liberal Party faces an uphill battle to win back lifelong swing voters like Sue. They've had their chances and I don't have enough confidence in them anymore. The South Melbourne pensioner is enjoying a sunny afternoon alongside the Yarra River. She says she didn't vote Liberal because she doesn't know what the party stands for. They need to have more community between them and be more on the same page about their 
what their um, political whatever <laughs> is, their issues, because they have too much inside activity that is negative. They need to really get on board and run the house like a proper house. In his second concession speech in as many elections, Liberal leader Matthew Guy acknowledged the party has a lot of work to do. We know that, but we also know that our time in the sun will come again. He's since announced he'll step down from the leadership. For former Victorian Liberal Party Deputy Director Tony Barry, a new leader will only go so far. The problem is from the newest branch member all the way through to the state executive, including the campaign professionals, and we need to fix it across the board. He says the party needs to work out who and what it represents. Get back to its core values, the shared values with the community, and they need to communicate those values through policies that represent those values. University of Melbourne politics professor Sarah Madison says it could look to its New South Wales counterpart for inspiration. I think the New South Wales Liberal Party has, in lots of ways, seen a revival of those those kind of core liberal values and less of this flirtation with the extreme right. Many predicted the Andrews government would be punished for locking down parts of Victoria for long periods during the COVID-19 pandemic. But Professor Madison says it appears the opposite may have happened. Even if we didn't like it, Victorians, I think, respected it. And I think the Liberal Party... The coalition tried to exploit that um, and I think in doing so they have aligned themselves with a constituency that's pretty on the nose to most Victorians and that's not how they're going to win government. As the vote count continues, it's becoming clear the Teal movement has failed to repeat its federal success but the Nationals had a successful night, winning three regional seats from independents. The Greens look to have made significant gains in the upper house and picked up the inner city seat of Richmond for the first time. Oliver Gordon reporting. An ABC investigation's uncovered a vast trove of stolen data available online for free or sold cheaply on the black market. Hundreds of hacks in recent months have added to terabytes of confidential information being posted online about millions of Australians. Even more worryingly, many victims have no idea their sensitive personal information's on the internet. Sean Rubenstein-Dunlop from ABC Investigations has the story. This Darwin mother can't speak highly enough of the NDIS service provider that helps her adult son who has nonverbal Down syndrome. We'll call her Janine. We take him to a centre and then from the centre his carers take him out swimming. He goes to the gym twice a week. He does an art class. But he's engaged in things that he, where he's still learning. But there's been one significant downside. Their personal details were stolen in May in a hack into a company called CTAS, which stores NDIS client records. The ABC found the stolen data along with that of thousands of other NDIS recipients on a popular online criminal forum. It includes Medicare numbers, medical information, mental health diagnoses and notes on high-risk behaviour like self-harm. I didn't expect that data to be easily accessible. Because you have to realise too that I'm 66 years old. I'm not exactly part of the generation that's grown up with the World Wide Web and what to do. I look to my children to help me. Catherine Manstead is the Director of Cyber Intelligence at security company CyberCX. The reality is there's a criminal's cornucopia of information available on the clear web. So that's the web that's indexed by Google, as well as, of course, in the dark web, which, again, is publicly 
accessible as a place that you can go. You just need to download some special software to go there. And it's not illegal to go to either of those places. ABC Investigations has examined what personal data of Australians is available online and discovered millions of people have been exposed, some in hacks that received little or no publicity. The information ranges from tax file numbers to confidential medical and legal information and the highly sensitive records of a Victorian school, all available for free or at frightfully cheap prices. We found login credentials to Australians' personal accounts, like banks and the Australian tax office, for as little as $1. We know just in the last couple of months, we've seen about 12 million Australians have their data exposed online. And so I'd say over the course of anyone's lifetime, I'd be very surprised if part of their information at some point uh, wasn't caught up in a data breach of some nature. Under Australian privacy law, once CTARS realised its data was stolen, the company had to ensure each victim was notified. But many victims told AM they received no such notice. In a statement, CTARS said it worked extensively to support service providers to notify victims of the breach. Sean Rubenstein, Dunlop, reporting there. Stolen generation survivors from the Northern Territory ACT and Jervis Bay regions are being encouraged to come forward and claim redress payments from the Commonwealth. The federal government set aside almost $400 million for the scheme, but so far only a few hundred applications have been made. Political reporter Dana Morse has more. Even down a crackly phone line, you can hear the joy in Eileen Cummings' voice when she speaks about growing up on Minaroo Station in the heart of Arnhem Land. I had a wonderful childhood on the station. I was happy, healthy. Now almost 80, she recalls the day her life changed with absolute clarity, the day she was stolen from her mother and country. They asked me if I wanted to go for a ride in the truck and I said yes, being a curious child. So I jumped on the back of the truck and next minute they took me straight out of the community. No explanation to my mother. She was just four years old. Eileen and her cousins were taken to the Croker Island Mission off the coast of the Northern Territory. And we got on the boat petrified because we'd never been on a boat before and we'd never seen the sea. It was 15 years before she reunited with her mother at Minaroo. Mum was so happy to see us all. But even then when she saw me, she I'd come back as a grown woman, but I could see that she was crying. She kept saying to me, I'm glad... You brought my grandchildren back to see me. Eileen has been a champion for survivors of the Stolen Generations, leading the Northern Territory Stolen Generations Corporation and acting as the lead claimant for a class action that saw landmark payments from the federal government to survivors. The class action has wound up, but survivors are still eligible for redress payments from the federal government. Northern Territory Senator Malandiri McCarthy is in charge of administering the scheme. Our government must reach out to uh, First Nations people in the redress scheme in a manner that is sincere, but in a manner that also enables them to have hope going forward. $378 million has been set aside for the program, enough for thousands of applicants to receive a $75,000 redress payment, a $7,000 healing assistance payment and a personal acknowledgement from a senior government person. But so far, only a few hundred people have come forward to make a claim. We certainly need to see more applications come through. It does take time. And there is no rush. 
uh, we want people to do this when they're ready. Chief Executive of the Healing Foundation, Ian Ham, says it can be difficult for survivors to come forward. I think people are taking their time to come to terms with doing an application because it's a complete reversal of what people had experienced for, the, for a lot of their lives. Eileen Cumming says while compensation is important, many survivors want the government to recognise past wrongs, take responsibility and make sure the stories of the stolen generations are preserved. Even though it was a hard and terrible thing to happen, I think we need to record and tell the world what actually happened to the children of the stolen generation. Eileen Cummings, a member of the Stolen Generations, ending that report from Dana Morse. Banks and other lenders are routinely discriminating against women who apply for loans and credit cards while on paid parental leave. Multiple women have told the ABC their loan applications have been cancelled or onerous requirements have been imposed simply because they're on paid birth, parental or maternity leave. When they've challenged the banks, the institutions have been unable to provide a written policy to justify their decisions. With more, here's political reporter Jane Norman. Equality has never been closer, we've long been told. But for some women, it's as if they're living in a bygone era. It really did shock me that basically as a woman on maternity leave, I was being told, no, the normal rules don't apply to you. What's the name of this book? The Very... Cranky Bear. Cranky Bear. Caitlin Grimman is caring for her two young children. In between feeds, naps and playtime, she applied for a credit card, mainly to accumulate the frequent flyer points on offer so she could visit her friends and family interstate. I received a call one lunchtime to say that because... I was on maternity leave, my application was going to be basically automatically cancelled. It did feel to me like a really archaic system. The ABC journalist called the company again to appeal the decision and a week later, the credit card appeared in her letterbox without a written explanation. I was told that perhaps my initial application should have been referred on for manual checking but instead, of course, this application was basically automatically cancelled from what I assume was some sort of red flag system. Sarah, who doesn't want us to use her surname, works for the ACT government. I was looking at realestate.com.au and I just saw the most perfect house for our family and I just fell in love with it. And before I even knew it, my partner's parents had uh, arranged a, a bank interview. Days out from the auction, Sarah and her partner arrived at their meeting with the home loan manager. He looked at my payslip and he saw that it said birth leave next to the um, salary amount and he said that there was a problem and he explained that loan approvers wouldn't approve the loan. And when I asked why, he said that many women choose not to return to full-time work after maternity leave. Sarah had tragically lost her second baby and was seeing out her 18 weeks of paid leave before returning to work. It was at that time that I told him that I'd lost the baby, so I would definitely be returning to work full-time. And what was his response? He said that I could get a letter from my employer stating that I would return to work full-time, I immediately told him that I thought it was discriminatory. Banks have strict responsible lending obligations and have to assess a customer's ability to repay any loan they're seeking. Here's Jared Brody from the Consumer Action Law Centre. To see a blanket no just because someone is on parental leave I think is a worrying. I would expect most banks to be undertaking further inquiries uh, with that customer. Too late for Sarah. Customer satisfaction was already lost. 
along with the home she dreamt of devoting her energies to. We decided not to get the finance in the end. It's loan applicant Sarah ending that report from Jane Norman. The Socceroos have their destiny in their own hands after historic defeat of Tunisia in the World Cup. Australia plays Denmark next, knowing a draw would most likely see the team progress to the knockout stage of the tournament. But the Socceroos believe they can win against the 10th-ranked team in the world and say they have something to prove. National sport reporter David Mark is in Doha. Dave, what's the mood like in the Socceroos camp after the Tunisia win? Sabra, the mood is really good. It was such an important win for Australia. It was their first win at a World Cup for 12 years and obviously the first for Graham Arnold and so and for the entire squad for that matter. So it was incredibly important. It puts them back in the competition. It means they're now in the hunt to make the final 16, in fact, in a very good place. But one thing Graham Arnold did with the group, including the players and the staff, almost immediately after that, game ended straight after the euphoria of the final whistle he brought everyone together and said right now we've got to focus we're not going to celebrate this everyone's going to go home recover well and have a good sleep and Mitchell Duke who was the scorer of Australia's goal in that game um, spoke to journalists today and he reiterated that message that they've still got a lot to prove in this competition. We haven't achieved anything yet we're obviously not out of the group It it was amazing to get that result and get that third win in a world cup for Australia but We're not happy and satisfied with that. We want more and we do believe that we can get out of the group and we can get a result against Denmark and uh, that's our main objective now. Uh, It was great to have that reaction from the France match. Um, It was a good learning curve and we took that into the game against Tunisia and now we need to make sure we better that against Denmark if we're going to be a chance. So Dave, what is the equation for the Socceroos to make the knockout stage? Sabra, it's pretty simple. They have to win against Denmark. If they win, they're guaranteed. Now, that's not going to be easy. Denmark are a very good team, 10th best team in the world on current world rankings with uh, a squad full of world-class players. But the Australians have got great belief. They've also got the advantage of having three points on the board, whereas Denmark's only got one. So a draw should be enough. The only fly in the ointment is that France is playing Tunisia at the same time as Australia is playing Denmark. If Tunisia was to cause a major upset and beat France, they would then go ahead of Australia on goal difference because of Australia's big 4-1 loss to France in the first game. So the best option for Australia is to win. Obviously, Denmark is going to go out for a win too and they'll be throwing everything at it, so it should be an intriguing game. But the fallback is a draw should probably be enough. Well, there have been a number of upsets now. Does that work in the Socceroos' favour? Well, look, it's really been an interesting World Cup. You have, you're have, you right, there's been quite a few upsets and there were more today. Belgium, the second-ranked team in the world, went down um, today to Morocco, 2-0. And then Japan, after they'd beaten Germany just a few days ago, lost to Costa Rica. And Costa Rica had been slammed by Spain 7-0 in the first game. So there's upsets all over the place. I, I think the Socceroos, though, will just say, look, we have to play at our very best. And what they've got in their advantage is that they are an incredibly united and very strong team. They talk about the brotherhood, they talk about the family. So that's in their favour against the class of Denmark. But it's a game of soccer and who knows what can happen. ABC Sport reporter David Mark and that's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lang. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily podcast. 
Since winning the election in May, Anthony Albanese has delivered a very different approach to governing than we saw from his predecessor, Scott Morrison. Today, as the last scheduled sitting week for the year gets underway, 7.30's Chief Political Correspondent, Laura Tingle, on what the Labor government's been up to. Look for the ABC News Daily podcast on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.